Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chad Kelly, and today we're going to be joined by Eric Halverson and Patrick Brady. Uh, the topic of our conversation today is going to be about the potential of income dropping for physicians. Uh, right now, as we are dealing with the COVID-19 crisis, we're finding that a number of physicians across various specialties are dealing with the reality that their income could drop. Um, some are seeing it, some are just worried about it. But we're going to talk today a little bit about um, some ideas about what we should be doing and how we can deal with the, the potential of an income drop. And so we'll go ahead and throw this over to Patrick and Eric and let them kind of talk through some advice and points that they think we should consider. Um, with that being said, uh, let's, let's kick it off. Eric, why don't you start us off? Perfect. Yeah, this is a subject that we never really thought we'd have to talk about, but many physicians are having their income impacted due to the effects of COVID-19. So um, one thing we want to kind of start right with here at the top is uh, this is one of the reasons why we've encouraged um, physicians and investors in general to have some sort of an emergency fund. So we would say the first place to go if you feel like your income has been impacted and you're unable to service your debt or uh, cash flow needs is utilize that emergency fund. It's the first great step, a first place to go um, when you have a shortfall in income. Those funds are typically at, uh, in money market or savings accounts so that they're easily accessible without a penalty and can be transferred right to your checking account to uh, to cover needed requests. You know, I'm going to jump in. I think one of the um, – we talked before starting our podcast and uh, some of the challenges that we recognize um, exist. I would, I would suggest without creating any level of um, guilt for anybody, uh, there's probably a lot of physicians out there who have not even – remotely started an emergency fund or they've dipped into it for so many non-emergencies that it's feeling a little bit dry and we recognize that and so when you hear the word emergency fund from us don't think that everybody probably has an emergency fund except for you there are a lot of physicians we find in conversations over the years where they just haven't found a way to save money and so if there's something positive that you can bring out of COVID and the challenge of your income uh, being volatile and unexpectedly so, I, I mean, I would never have dreamed in my 20 years here that I would see a physician having a drop in pay during a healthcare crisis. It just didn't, there, there's gotta be an actuary out there somewhere that predicted this and no one listened to him and called him crazy and he got fired for it but no one really predicted this coming up. And so knowing that you needed an emergency fund for a healthcare crisis probably was never on your, your radar, but it just proves emergency funds are critical. And as we come out of this, don't think that you're over it and we got through this and go back to your old habits. Wish you had emergency fund now, change that and make sure you have one later if, if that's your state. So emergency funds are important. Yep. And there's a lot of ways to go for emergency funds. Um, sometimes there, we can go into the 401k, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, and act as one if you have to, but we want that as your, uh, I, I would call it, it's your chemotherapy treatment for some bad stuff. Uh, we don't want to use it, but we might have to. 
Yeah, so Patrick's mentioning we could we could look at a retirement loan as a kind of an extra emergency fund. So uh, many physicians do a great job at putting money into their retirement plans and uh, find themselves maybe cash poor because they've done such a good job funding their retirement to reduce taxes. So if, if your emergency fund is, as Patrick mentioned, maybe non-existent or smaller than needed. Last you like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> then you, then uh, maybe dip into uh, a retirement loan and we could... Um, there are some implications to the retirement loans that we'll talk about here at the end, which uh, are affected by the CARES Act. So, uh, but for now, just remember, if you if you failed to have or, or uh, because of life circumstances, just haven't prepared enough of an emergency fund, there uh, is a possibility for a uh, retirement loan. One of the one of the challenges of a retirement loan we discussed as well was that you're you're dipping into a retirement loan when the market's down, so you're going to have to accept that um, you're going to be selling your assets at a loss in order to come up with the cash you need to cover for a period of time. And that's generally not advisable in the big picture, but I will say that's more advisable than losing your house. You know, so you might have to weigh the pros and cons and you have two negatives. Um, I would choose saving your, your assets at like a home or something don't use this loan to fund your family vacation you promised your kids. Have the hard conversation say, kids, we're not going on vacation. Um, emergency funds are for keeping you afloat and keeping your credit score good and such. And, and, they, and you just can't pick one. When you go take out a loan, if you have, let's say, 40% in bonds and 60% in stocks, that initial pull, they're going to take it 60% from stocks, 40% in bonds. So you can't go in and cherry pick unless you sell everything and go to cash. Then they'll take it all from cash. You can't call your loan servicer and say, hey, just only take it out of this account. Yeah, you'll probably want to re, once the loan's distributed, you want to go back in and make sure your allocation still looks appropriate. Yeah. Um, sometimes people think of their loan as their fixed income, so to try to avoid distributing from equities if they're at a loss, for example, then we want to have them recover. You could work with your financial advisor to re reallocate your portfolio so that you kind of you're more that aggressive so. almost yeah inside your allocation yep because you're paying yourself back an interest rate which might sound great a five percent or whatever it is right now it, loans are different and different uh, companies have different rates is that correct mm -hmm. uh, Eric so you you just have to remember you're paying yourself back but we'd still rather have you have a return in the marketplace yep how about a home equity line of credit would that fall in where we're saying, look, let's oh, go yeah. get out some quick twenty, thirty thousand dollars If you have equity inside your home and if you go to your bank, a lot of them will do a quick home equity line of credit depending upon the spread between what your cost basis is, I mean, what your value is and what you're left on the loan. And if you have good loan-to-value ratios, they can generally give you a pretty quick HELOC without having an appraisal if there's enough equity inside that home. That's not a bad option too. You're gonna to be pay, paying pretty high interest rate costs for that, but it's, um, it is worth looking at that option as well. Yeah. So, and, and the initial fees on a HELOC are somewhere like 300 bucks mm -hmm. is all you pay. So it's not expensive. Um, it might be harder to qualify these days because I know that, that companies are really careful on what they're giving. And they're gonna base it upon last year's tax rate and your paychecks. So if you see your paychecks going down, you wanna hurry and do this 
before your paycheck is adjusted because they're going to look at a current pay stub if you're a W-2 employee. So you'd want to do that faster than not. Yeah, that's a great option. Some people actually, Patrick mentioned post-COVID, you may want to consider um, just having a home equity line of credit open so that in the event that you have something like this occur again, maybe it's a, a personal financial crisis, you can access a, some equity out of the home uh, at a reasonable price. So it's a great option. Another thing to consider, um, kind of beyond those first few choices, you, you could evaluate your spending and your budget. When we say budget, usually people will say, well, I haven't had budget since residency or since my uh, first attending position. Um, but a budget can be important in a time like this where you can evaluate unnecessary expenditures. So look at necessities versus luxuries. Uh, Chad in our office has mentioned, well, maybe rather than have the premium package on your dish TV, have the standard package, and that might save you $50 a month. Or uh, look at areas in which you can cut your spending um, and remove the, those that are unnecessary items. You can also use tools like YNAB, YNAB, a budgeting tool, um, or Mint, uh, or you can work with your financial advisor. Many advisors have access to a data aggregation tool that helps you evaluate your spending. So if uh, that would be the next step. You know, can look at the emergency fund. If, it's, uh, if the pain is uh, unbearable financially, then you're going to need to start cutting in, in areas, and that might be one option. One, one of the um, advantages to looking at your budget is if you haven't looked at it for a while, you might be surprised what's going out of your bank account on things you didn't realize you were paying for. So it's a good time to um, reflect on unnecessary subscriptions that you might be um, having or your kids might have subscribed to something or, or a member of your family. I think the other thing that a, that a budget review does for everybody is it helps you feel more in control of something that you feel out of control in at the moment. So you're, you feel out of control of your income, and if you can start looking at how you spend your money, you will naturally start to feel better about yourself. It's, it's kind of like in your health. When your health is out of control and you're eating everything in sight and, and you're not watching how, what you put inside your body, um, just getting control of watching what you eat every day helps you feel better in the morning and you feel you just feel better about yourself and I think a budget has the same aspect because it's a behavioral issue generally um, a lot of times we overspend because of behavior problems not because we really need anything and so it helps you get in control I think that's an important part of a budget um, and I think it also adds um, if you haven't done your budget lately I would su suggest also that you do it with your spouse Make sure you include your spouse in the conversation. If you have to go out to dinner because it's so painful and then buy her a gift later because you were so grumpy because of what you discovered, just make sure that you are, you can enhance your relationship with your spouse through this experience or your partner. Uh, but I think it takes two to budget. It's not just one person. And you need to look at them together. Great That's time great. to bring in your family too and talk to them about, have a family council about what you don't need to be spending right now. Be honest with your kids about the struggle. Uh, you'll be surprised how supportive your children are. Don't cause anxiety for them necessarily, but bring your family into this conversation and you'll get a lot out of it. And you'll teach your kids principles they need to remember the rest of their life.
Yeah, those are great, great points. I think after after reviewing the budget and your emergency uh, access to funds, you may want to consider more of a, a permanent refinancing, where you could look at refinancing your mortgage. If uh, if it's been a while since you looked at your mortgage, rates have actually dropped substantially over the last, let's say, three or four months. So there's been quite a decrease in mortgage rates, and it's possible many of these uh, cash flow problems are associated with debt and. Um, it's possible that your student debt is at a, a relatively high rate. Well, you can refinance some of the equity in your house at a relatively low rate, and it's possible that you can pay off some of your student debt uh, and roll that into your home at a lower rate for a longer term. Many, many physicians have been doing this recently, and it's been a rewarding area to work with them in, in getting their debt paid off and enabling them to free up uh, some extra cash flow on a monthly basis. And remember, a refinance takes a about 30 to 45 days to complete from start mm-hmm. to finish. So get started fast if you can do that. And again, you want that uh, that pay stub to, to reflect your income as you refinance because that will be important for them as well. And try not to rack up too many credit card bills so that your debt ratios don't get out of line as they start to understand what your minimum payment requirements are before you refinance. So get that going as fast as you can if you need to. It's, uh, it's one of the... I guess it can be a perk or a flaw. In a refinance, usually you're enabled to skip a month's payment. So it, it essentially kicks that debt farther down the road. But currently, if you're listening to this podcast and you're still listening, it's because you have an income <laughs> issue. And so you're really trying to solve the short-term problem uh, and not the longer-term problem. So we're kind of we realize that's a downside or a negative thing over the long term, but over the short term, that might save you uh, a month or two. Yeah, you, you need to know that all this that we're talking about, we recognize there's a mathematical consequence to almost everything we're talking about. We're not, we're not ignorant of that issue, so don't think we're giving bad advice and we're not thinking ahead. We absolutely are. We're thinking of a current crisis. We're thinking of an emergency room visit financially, and how do we just triage this and get you safely through it? So I just, I just want you to know that we really do think about, there's a cost, we get it, but let's take care of the, the crisis first. And then don't have this happen again. You know, Three years from now, let's, let's uh, get with a planner and try to get some behavioral patterns in, intact and uh, get back into a better position. Once you've done those things, another uh, few items we've had on our list of uh, options to consider Often physicians, because they're very educated, value the, uh, value the importance of education. So they tend to begin saving for children's education. And one way uh, to increase your current cash flow is to con- temporarily postpone funding of your children's education through 529 or education savings plans. So that's kind of an easy one to go to to say, well, maybe I'll postpone some of these contributions for now just for... Once again, as Patrick mentioned, this may not be the, the best long-term strategy, but for the short period of time that we have this income crisis, we'll need, it's possible we need to delay contributions to the 529 plans. Now remember, those can actually take place. Oftentimes people do those monthly, but they can actually take place up until the end of December to qualify for the um, state tax credit if you're participating in the My 529 plan through Utah. So you could say, well, I'll just I'll catch up on some of these once uh, uh, a little farther down the road. 
And you can also, uh, in relationship to contributions going out to retirement plan deferrals, so most of you, like Eric said earlier, are very good at savings. Um, I'm going to take an intermountain type physician who gets a match, as an example. You're really good at putting in the 401k and the 403b option and getting that match out there. You can stop that deferral. Um, and then what you want to do, though, is try to make up for that contribution in your last quarter. So you can actually work with Intermountain, call them, and they can tell you how much you could contribute from every paycheck, say, starting in October, um, if, if pay rises and your income is better. And then you can do some catch-up at the end of the year and make sure those contributions get by the last payroll of the year. That's, that's something you can you kind of kick down the road if you want to. And you can also do it in profit sharing plan. If you're in a 1099 position um, or an owner in a, in a clinic, you can, um, well, it all depends. Talk to your, your clinic, but there are ways to defer some of the profit sharing plan portions until next year, particularly 1099s, until your tax filing next year. And health savings accounts are similar in that, in that regard. Um, you can delay funding in most cases, and so we, you, you may just wait to fund the HSA contribution until later in the year. Um, some profit sharing plans, so if you're with a, a group and you run a profit sharing plan as opposed to more of a 401k plan, oftentimes you can fund up until you file your taxes the following year. So there's some, depending on your position and specialty group you're with, there are some uh, unique nuances and we'd encourage you to talk to your plan administrator or to a financial advisor who's aware of your group and they can kind of walk you through the specific details of, of your plan. If you, if you are a retirement plan, we have a lot of retirement plans that are run through the Medical Association here. If you have questions about um, your contributions, you can talk to one of the advisors. You can also talk to Wendy Lewis uh, in our office who runs the retirement plans as, a, as kind of a, a manager for us. Wendy has a lot of information that could be helpful for you if you want to contact Wendy on those things. Yeah, she's a fantastic resource and could be a good first point of contact. Yep. Um, the Kind of tying back into the retirement loans, which we mentioned earlier, some of the changes that uh, some changes occurred towards the end of last year with the Secure Act, and then again this year with the CARES Act associated with COVID nineteen. Um, keep in mind that the provisions of the CARES Act can be adopted by a plan sponsor. However, automatic adoption shouldn't be presumed by any plan participant. So there's there's not a surefire way of saying unless you check with your plan if the if the CARES Act provisions have been adopted by your plan. The plan has up until I believe the end of 2022 to adopt the provisions. It's likely that most plans will adopt, adopt those provisions but you want to talk to your plan administrator just to make sure that that, uh, that works in your situation. You do have to be a qualified individual to benefit from the CARES Act provision changes and a qualified individual, let's read the definition um, a qualified individual is an individual who is diagnosed with COVID-19 by CDC recognized test by CDC recognized test and whose spouse or dependent is diagnosed with a COVID-19 or uh, who a person who experiences adverse financial consequences as, as a result of being quarantined so being furloughed laid off having work hours reduced uh, being unable to work due to lack of child care as a result of COVID-19. 
So the plan administrator would just rely on the employee's certification saying, yes, they did meet one of those conditions. If that is the case, then uh, the loan provision in a 401k plan will go up to uh, $100,000. And um, there's also a provision of the CARES Act that allows for distributions from an IRA account if you're a qualifying individual. And those distributions, um, the tax will be paid over a three-year period and the 10% penalty will be uh, waived or avoided. So we're really not tax experts. Um, and we'd encourage you to just verify that you're a qualified individual with either your accountant or uh, the plan administrator before you make a decision so that we make sure we didn't uh, make sure we could check all those boxes and you qualify. But I think the rule will likely be fairly liberal as you can see in that definition. Most physicians have had um, reduced work hours which would which would essentially help them qualify, qualify. almost everybody. Yeah. But but uh, once again don't rely on us for tax advice. Make sure you talk to your accountant <laughs> to make sure they feel comfortable filing your taxes that way. So this is probably the most help we can give you at the moment. Now, this is general information, and we recognize that all of your circumstances are unique and different. So please reach out to one of your advisors uh, that you work with outside the Medical Association. If you work with someone here at UMAFS, please give us a call. If you um, can't talk to your advisor immediately, we have plenty of people here all the time on staff that can give you um, answers very quickly and give you guidance um, over your situation, please take advantage of that. We can generally answer most questions in the same day that you call. So we uh, appreciate you listening to this. If you really need the information, need more, please give us a call. Happy to help. Thank you. Thanks.